Peter is writing to believers who are living in the midst of a sudden storm that appears only to be gathering strength, opposition, scorn, persecution for the faith. How may you and I stand firm when the pressure mounts, when the storms of opposition and even of persecution may come? Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller, and Jonathan, it sounds like today's uh, message has the potential to be very practical, standing firm against the storms of life, because we do know that they are going to come. Oh, the storms come, and I'm conscious that there will be many listeners today who are in the midst of the storm, who are, who are living through the storm and just trying to hold on for dear life. That may be your experience today, and I hope that as we turn to 1 Peter 5 and consider what it is to endure and to cling to the Lord in the midst of those storms and to walk in faithfulness through them as Christian believers, I trust this will be a real help and a practical encouragement to you today. Well, grab your Bible, join us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 to 14. We're beginning a message called Standing Firm in Unsteady Times. Here is Jonathan. I wonder if you have ever been in a situation where it was all you could do simply to stand your ground, to keep your feet planted where they are and not lose your footing. Maybe you've had the rather fun experiences I have of taking one of those boats into the spray at the base of the Niagara Falls. It used to be the Maid of the Mist. It's called something else now. But this modified ferry boat would take you right up to the base of the falls, and the rush of the water over you would be almost overwhelming, sensible People would stay inside the boat in the covered area, but some would stand out on deck, and there would be this sensation that you were within a hair's breadth of being swept away by the water and the, the powerful rush of air. Or perhaps you have had occasion to stand at a mountain peak in the Rockies or in the Alps or elsewhere, one foot perhaps up on a boulder in a posture of satisfaction and victory, having reached the summit, but then the rushing wind would threaten to sweep you away. Or maybe you've been caught in a great storm that has come up out of nowhere, and the force of the wind, it takes you by surprise, it nearly knocks you off your feet before you gather your wits and you seek out shelter. Peter is writing to believers who are living in the midst of a sudden storm that appears only to be gathering strength. And they are coping with the uncomfortable sensation of being unsteadied by the winds that are swirling about them. Opposition, scorn, persecution for the faith, true suffering as believers in Jesus Christ. These are the realities confronting and threatening to intensify against these believers. And so as he draws his letter to a conclusion, Peter now gives to these believers some concrete and some very practical advice concerning the way in which they should hold their ground and keep their footing in such unsteady and unsteadying times. So often in a letter or a note, the final lines reveal what is most urgently on the heart of the writer. You know, a parent writes to their child at summer camp, and there are pleasantries and updates from home. You know, Susie got her braces off. Aunt Aggie is coming to visit. 
We cleared out your room and gave all those old baseball cards to charity. Hope you don't mind. <laughs> and then at the end, there will be a few lines written in bold and underlined. Make sure you shower at least once before you come home. <laughs> Wear lots of sunscreen, please. Brush your teeth at least once a day, preferably twice, and definitely double underlined on the morning when we come to collect you. <laughs> The really important matters are often underlined at the close of a letter, and that is certainly the case here. In these final lines, Peter gets very, very practical, and he gives to his first readers, and he gives to us today, a few underlined instructions concerning the way in which we are to stand firm in some very unsteady times. How may you and I stand firm when the pressure mounts, when society is against us, when the storms of opposition and even of persecution may come? Well, first, says Peter, be humble. Be humble, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, for he cares for you difficulty, trial, opposition, suffering, those things can either be our making or our breaking in spiritual terms. They do try us, they do test us, and ultimately when we face these things, we either go one way or another. One direction we may go when trouble comes is the direction of self-preservation, of self-sufficiency, of bitterness, and of anger. You know, others, others have let me down. Perhaps I may feel even that the Lord has let me down. No one else is going to solve this problem for me. No one else is going to take care of me. I need, you know, I, I tried uh, being quiet. I, I tried praying. I tried trusting. I tried meekness for a season, but look at how difficult things are for me now. No, no, for me to get through this, it's me, myself, and I. That is the way in which I'm going to power through this. That is the way in which I'm going to protect myself. Perhaps you know that feeling. Perhaps you know that instinct. It's common enough. I think it's sort of the natural reaction of the fallen and the sinful human heart. It's really just a form of pride, of course, expressed in times of pressure. But there is a problem with that reaction. There is a terrible flaw in that response, and it's simply this. It threatens to put us at odds with the Lord himself. Peter highlighted this for us in our previous verses, you may remember. He drew our attention to this principle, actually from the book of Proverbs. Notice it there at the end of verse 5. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. See, God is set against the proud. His grace does not extend to the proud. His help does not come to the proud. Those who are self-sufficient and those who are arrogant in outlook, they place themselves beyond the help of God. But God gives grace to the humble, to those who come to him with empty hands and with an open heart. And so the Lord now commends to us a better way, the alternative to the proud and the self-sufficient way to respond to times of difficulty and trouble, humble yourselves. When the pressure rises, when the difficulty comes, get on your knees before the Lord and say, I don't know what to do with this. 
but here's the thing, I trust you, and I wait upon you, and I defer to your wisdom. And it's interesting the way in which Peter frames this in verse 6. He doesn't say, you know, humble yourself under the weight of your circumstance and your suffering and then pray to God as a kind of separate thing. That's not what he does. No, he says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. There's suffering, of course, which is of an evil kind. At the end of chapter 4, Peter spent a great deal of time addressing the reality of suffering for the people of God. Here in our passage, it's at the forefront of his mind again. You see it there in verse 9. The brotherhood of believers all around the world are experiencing the same kind of suffering as these believers are. They're suffering coming to the people of Christ from a world that opposes the Lord and opposes his people and opposes his gospel. But in the midst of that, in response to that, what are the people of God to do? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Wicked people are doing wicked things, but for the believer, for you and for me, we know that the Lord is powerful, the Lord is in charge, the Lord could prevent evil people from troubling us, but since in his sovereignty and wisdom he has allowed this, since he has not buffered us from it, but called us rather to walk through it, we look to him and not to our circumstances, and we humble ourselves under his mighty hand. This is a bit like the attitude we see in the book of Job, you may remember. You remember his story, how the devil sought permission to go after him, and the Lord gave him a kind of limited permission to do that, and Job faced terrible loss and terrible suffering as a result of that. And, and in discussion with his wife, actually in response to a rather faithless outburst on her part, Job utters these remarkable words, Job chapter 2 and verse 10, shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? Shall we take the good things that God gives and refuse to take from him what else may come our way? The devil is doing bad stuff, but Job's frame of reference is the Lord, the Lord's will and the Lord's work, because he knows that the Lord is sovereign over all that takes place in this world, in difficulty, in opposition, in suffering, Peter says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He may allow you to be pressed down, to be ground down to an extent in suffering. But as he allows that, and as we trust him within it, we open ourselves up to the greater part of his program and his plan for us, end of verse 6, so that at the proper time, he may exalt us. The Lord may allow his people to spend time in the place of grief and in the place of trial, in the place of suffering and of sadness. He may leave us in the dust for a season, but his commitment to us in Christ is such that he will not leave us there forever. Remember that in the Christian life, the pattern is suffering before glory. We've been seeing this throughout our study of 1 Peter. It's descent before ascent. It is death before life. That was the way for the Lord Jesus himself. That is the way of the cross, and that is the way for us. 
the Lord will exalt us. He may lift us up in some measure in this life and give us some degree of relief from our enemies and from our griefs and our trials. But that's not actually the focus here. Ultimately, he lifts us up and he raises us to life with him and brings us into his presence in the end wherein there is fullness of joy. And he will do that. That's his promise. That's his gospel commitment. And so you and I know by faith that all will be well in the end. We can be confident of that. We can take that to the bank. But in the meantime, as we humble ourselves before him, as we wait upon him, here is what we will do all the while. Verse 7, we will cast our cares on him. And here is why it is reasonable and safe and right to do that, because he cares for you. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called Standing Firm in Unsteady Times. It is the last message in our series from the book of 1 Peter called Faith Under Fire. And if you've missed any of the broadcasts in our series, come and listen online. Our website is EncounterTheTruth.org. There you can listen to the program or download an MP3 for free. You could also listen if you have the Encounter the Truth app. You're going to find that at your app store. And that's a great way to listen to Jonathan's teaching when you're on the go or on demand, whenever it fits your schedule. Again, you'll find the app at your app store or simply come to our website, EncounterTheTruth.org. And when you're at the website, hope you'll take a moment and sign up for our newsletter. That way we can keep you up to date with what's going on in the ministry. You can also check out our weekly devotional called Moment of Truth. You'll find links there to our social media like Facebook and Instagram, and of course to our YouTube channel, which is a great way to not only listen to, but watch Jonathan's Bible teaching as well. If you're on YouTube, you can simply look for Encounter the Truth, and you can watch us there. Or again, we'll link you to that through the website, EncounterTheTruth.org. Let's get back to the message. Again, here is Jonathan. As the Lord calls us to walk through circumstances that may be incredibly hard and incredibly painful, and of course that may be precisely your life season and your circumstance today, that may be your reality right now, as his mighty hand may be heavy upon us even at the moment, as believers we don't turn away from him in faithlessness, we don't turn against him in arrogance or in anger, but we turn toward him once again in faith, and we cast all our anxieties on him. We adopt the attitude of the hymn writer who knew what it was to have a friend in Jesus, you remember. For those who are weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care, those with trials and temptations, what do we do? We take it to the Lord in prayer. You may know this incidentally, but I just discovered that Joseph Scriven, the Irishman who wrote that hymn in the 1850s, he settled here in Ontario not far from us. He had come to Canada with a sense of call for mission and ministry. But from what I can gather, nothing much that he did gathered momentum or developed in any substantial way. He had, he had suffered significant tragedy on a, on a personal level. His first fiance drowned in Ireland the night before they were due to marry. He later fell in love years later here in Canada near Port Hope. But his fiance, his second fiance, contracted pneumonia and died. He himself died an untimely death through drowning. His story is really a tragic one. 
but he wrote that hymn, you know it, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, and he knew something about what he was talking about there. He knew it from experience, personal experience, and the Lord, of course, greatly used him all around the world through that hymn. That's an aside, but I think it's quite a fascinating one. Like Scriven, you and I, we may be called to walk through incredibly hard things, stretching things, sad things, tragic things. What do we do? Well, as believers, we turn to the Lord in prayer. We entrust the situation to him, and we do so because we believe and know that he cares for us. He cares. He really cares. He truly cares. He deeply cares. And let, let's just pause there. Let's pause there for a moment. Let me ask you, do you know and do you believe and do you trust today that God cares for you? Do you believe and do you trust that he's really interested in you? That what happens in your life matters to him? Do you know in your heart of hearts that your griefs and your trials are significant in his sight? That they matter to him? I don't know if we always understand that very thoroughly or grasp it very easily, but it's true. It's what the Bible says. He cares for you. He cares for me. I think we can often fear that when we approach God in prayer, it's like calling the corporate or government call center. You know, you've got an urgent need. We've had this before with government travel documents, as perhaps you have. You've got a trip coming up. You've got to make a journey. Your passport has expired. You, you, you've applied for a new one. It's been weeks and it's been months. And now you're, you're really down to the wire. And you call the 800 number. And you, you go through 15 menus, choosing option three and option seven, and getting hung up on, and then getting confused, and starting again, and calling back, and sitting on hold as the 87th caller in the queue in that music that drives you nearly insane. Huh. And eventually, you get a human being, and it's clear that they're weary. And it's clear that you're just a number to them. They're worn down with so many calls, and they, they frankly just don't care at this point. Your trip and your concern and your anxiety, even your desperation, it doesn't move them. They are beyond the ability to be moved by the needs of the callers. And the conversation ends with an invitation to consult the website for more information, but no help, no hope. Is that the dynamic when we call the hotline to heaven? When we come before the Lord with our anxieties and we pour out our heart to him, is that how it goes with him? Peter says, in humility before him and under his mighty hand, cast all your anxieties on him and do so for a very good reason, because he cares for you. Maybe no one else has cared for you very well. Maybe a lot of people have really let you down. Maybe trust is just a huge issue for you. Here is a truth to hold on to. He cares for you. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. 
Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? Oh, yes, there is. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak? Are we heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. Scriven understood it, you see. He understood verse 7. He understood that the Lord cares, really cares for you and for me. He, he cares so much. He cares so much that he sent his only begotten son to die in your place, to rescue you, to adopt you into his family, to make you his very own. He pursued you to the cross, to the grave. He pursued you from heaven to earth and back. He cares for you. He's proved it in time and space and history. Now, I don't know what anxieties you may be carrying today. I don't know what may be weighing upon you today, but here is the thing of true significance and of ultimate importance. He knows and he cares. In times of pressure, in times of trial, in times of opposition, in times of suffering, here is the first thing to do. Be humble before the Lord. And here's the next thing. Be watchful. Be watchful of the evil one. Verse 8. Notice it with me. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now, it's an awful and a very, very unsettling thing to have an enemy pursuing you. For those among us who may have served in the armed forces, perhaps you've been in an active conflict situation and you know this feeling all too well. Perhaps for others, you've been pursued by someone in the realm of business or in the professional sphere and they've been after you. They've taken you to court. They've been out for your damage and even your destruction. Peter wants us, each one of us, to understand that we have an enemy who is on our tail. We have a sniper at our back. We have a truly ferocious enemy, God's great enemy, the devil. He hates the Lord. He hates the church of Jesus Christ. He hates you and he hates me. And let's not be confused about this. He is real. He is personal. He is evil and he is cruel. And Peter says that he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone whom he may devour. What a place to have to pause today's teaching. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. Our message is called Standing Firm in Unsteady Times. And we're going to look at that very real enemy on our next broadcast. So I hope you'll make it a point to tune in. If you ever miss a program, come and listen online. Our website is EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, Encounter the Truth is on this station because of your generosity. So thank you for giving to and supporting this ministry. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you a book that you've picked out, Jonathan. It is called The Definition of Christianity. And can you give us a, a bit of an idea of what's in this book? Well, I think there are a lot of myths around about what the Christian message is and what defines the Christian faith. I think a lot of people will think that they they know and they have a pretty good idea of what Christianity is all about, but actually haven't gone back to the source material and really investigated that question. And it's a hugely important question. 
And here in the definition of Christianity, David Gooding and John Lennox take us back to the source material, to the book of Acts, where we see the apostles engaging with the philosophers and the teachers of the first century world and explaining what the Christian gospel is, who Jesus is, and what it means to trust him and to follow him. And I think this is a vitally important study. I think it's going to be a real help to Christian believers, clarifying what we understand and what we believe. And it's going to be a real help to those who are investigating the faith and actually wanting to know, in all honesty and in all seriousness, what is Christianity all about. I hope this book will be a real encouragement and a real help to you. Well, we would love to send you a copy of this book, The Definition of Christianity, is our way of saying thank you for your financial support this month. Find out more or give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 1-833-998-7884. Or again, the website is EncounterTheTruth.org. For producer Mark Brenna and our Bible teacher Jonathan Griffiths, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.